Would you please join me for a word of prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love that window. As a young pastor leading the liturgy for Pastor Esh and Pastor Constantine, I looked at that window almost every Sunday. And every time I look at it, I see something different. I see a different nuance, a different light, a different stream. And as every day, every cloud formation, everything's different. To me, that window is almost like a, a screen that moves sometimes. And I know that sounds a little bizarre, but every time I look at it, I pick, I pick something else. I pick something else out. St. John's Lutheran Church has St. John's windows. John chapter 4, John chapter 10, John chapter... 20, John chapter 19, all those pieces are pieces of St. John's gospel. And it's amazing how the people who put this church together had the uh, ability to think through that and then to think about the ability why that window is there and this window is here. And how 102 years ago, almost 103, they would figure that out is, is beyond me. But the woman at the well, there's something striking about her. There's something striking about Jesus. There's something striking about them being together. There's, there, there's something that just sits in the soul in a really good way. As you think about John chapter 4. Let's read together a few of those verses. Uh, John chapter 4, and we're going to read 4 through 10. I've got it on the screen for you. Please read with me. Now he had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, I will you give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, in in our civilization, in our way of looking at things, we don't even think twice about a man talking with a with a woman. You just don't think about it. If you're a man, sometimes you speak with a woman and you're a little uncomfortable. You're like, yeah, we're supposed to. Or, a, or maybe that your language isn't right or your words aren't well chosen and you say, oh, wait a minute. But at this time, at this time of day, with the way it was with Samaritans and Jews, with men and women, it just wasn't that. Uh, th- this is an improbable conversation. Just like John chapter 3 was an improbable conversation that somehow Jesus would meet with a Pharisee at night in an alley and say those marvelous words, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. From John chapter 3's improbable conversation to John chapter 4's improbable conversation, highlighted very carefully that she is a Samaritan woman. 
with the parenthetical that Jews don't hang out with Samaritans. And you could also say, if you were an observer at the time, you could say, and men don't speak to women in this way either. That was the way it was in the ancient Near East. That's just the way it happened. And if you look and begin to understand a, a greater context, you see how improbable that conversation was. In the Greco-Roman world, there were 140 women for every, 140 men for every 100 women. Hmm. What does that mean? And where did those little babies go when they were born female? And how does that speak into the conversation that we have this morning and that Jesus had on that day? Here's a quote. I ask and beg of you to take good care of our baby son. If you are delivered of a child before I come home, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, discard it. It was from a Roman businessman getting ready to leave his pregnant wife, hoping against hope that his baby would be a boy and not a girl. Or how about this from the Greek poet Poisipides? Everyone raises a son even if he is poor, but exposes a daughter even if he is rich. You are a Samaritan woman and I am a, Samarit I am a Jewish man. Women were thought of as possessions to some degree, kind of like a car or a ladder or something. If something happened to a woman, the man was paid typically because she was viewed as kind of his property. And then the coloring of this conversation over the course of millennia, pastors have stood up and said, well, she was obviously a woman of ill repute. She had five husbands and she was shacked up with this other guy. What we don't understand and we don't talk about too often is that only men could initiate divorce in that culture. So not only was she broken by the divorces, but broken by the rejection of five men saying to her, your history. And so she worked her way into community. Clearly at the end of the text, she's, she's got people with whom she has influence and is able to have marvelous conversation with. I am a Samaritan woman and you are a Jewish man. What in the world are you talking about here? Then there's those pieces of today, huh? Those pieces of our life here in 2017 you would think that after so long we would have it all kind of figured out and all kind of ironed out but still men and women there's a struggle and a rift there's lost pieces of that there's there's lost pieces of how we get along and and, and sometimes we don't have it all all figured out and we say this and we do that and we speak out of both sides of our mouths and and it just doesn't work and someone's hurt Typically, the woman is hurt or marginalized or condescended to. Like a pat on that head, it's all good, right? Mm. Or maybe even worse. Even today, from 1990, a quote from the author Amartya Sen, there are more than 100 million women that are missing speaking to gender imbalance in China, India, and elsewhere. A hundred million people missing, women missing. Why? 
were closer to our time, Mara Heifstendahl, in her book, Unnatural Selection, Choosing Boys Over Girls and the Consequences of a World Full of Men, she noted that Asia has, a, has, a out of, Asia has an imbalance of 163 million more males than females. 163 million more males than females. So once a baby is born, if it's identified as a female, it is easier and likely to be unwanted because the boy carries the name of the family, the boy carries the ability to work, the boy carries the cultural pieces and the sociological pieces of strength and muscle and name and all of those things. So if a little girl is born, they say, well, maybe later, which leads also then to another piece. Rich families cannot find brides for their sons, and poor families are more likely to sell their daughter, which leads to a rise in sex trafficking and the marriages of very young women to much older men. See, we haven't figured it out yet. And more than likely, until Jesus comes back, we're going to struggle with men and women and how we get along and what that means. So many fewer women so many more sold into horrible styles of life it makes you think a little bit about how we love one another and that we do love one another it makes us think about our families and our spouses and our children and the value system with which we raise them and what that looks like, and even more than that, what that means in faith and in life. I love that window. Jesus comes on a dusty day in the middle of the day, and he sits with that lady, and he begins to talk to her. Now, why, why would he do that? He's the son of God. He could have popped a cherry Slurpee right in his hand. It's all above his Slurpee. Well, cherry cola. Think of it. He was God for goodness. He could do whatever he wanted to do. And what he chose to do that day was sit at Sychar, send the disciples to 7-Eleven for hoes and zingers, and then come back. And, and in that meantime, in that little meantime, Jesus has, you ready for this? The longest recorded discussion with anybody in the New Testament is recorded with a Jewish man speaking with a Samaritan woman. The longest conversation in the New Testament is portrayed right there. And like in John 3 with Nicodemus, they're talking by one another. Jesus talks of Nicodemus of wind and spirit and reborn and all that stuff. Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just let me go. Same thing here. Water and well and gushing and all that stuff. Give me some water so I don't need to do this. And she's, Jesus says, if you just knew the water and the gift and all this stuff, you'd have it all together. And she says, show me. And Jesus says, hang on, I got more for you than you're ever going to figure out. And he punches through ethnic boundaries. He punches through gender boundaries and he reaches out to her in a way that no man ever had before. She's not a possession to him. He doesn't look at her with dazzling sexualized eyes. 
he looks at her with an unconditional love and a sense of inclusion that she has never experienced before. And in plowing through those barriers, he loves her. Paul writes of that in Galatians, these words. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all, all one. You are all one in Christ. Wow. That means that little Ford Hudson Fritchell is in the body of Christ, one of us, one. We are one. There is more in common in Christ than that which makes us unique in the world. We are restored and made whole. One in Christ. The Jew or the Greek, no, no, we're Christians. The male and the female, well, first you're Christians. Children of God through faith in Christ. Sins forgiven, lives restored, broken pieces made whole, lost lives rescued and drawn back in Christ. We are one in Christ. More in common, hear me, more in common in Christ than that which would ever separate us as a congregation, as families, as men and women, as Republicans and Democrats, as Americans and other people in the world. We are one in Christ. One in Christ, which is more than likely what she began to perceive in her heart as Jesus was talking to her. The, 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 the pieces of the language go from kind of far to kind of close until finally Jesus brings it down and he says, I who am speaking to you am he. And the first place he reveals himself as the Messiah in a very explicit way, is to a woman at a well in Samaria, not to men in a synagogue in Jerusalem. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Maybe that's why that window means so much to me. Maybe that's why that was the easiest money in the world to raise. It's the second time I've said that. $350,000. Remember how dark it was in here when that window was covered over with plywood and how horrible that was? People said, when's the window coming back? When's the window coming back? When's the window coming back? It's all been rebuilt. And nobody had a voter's meeting. No one sent me an email and said, what could we put Nicodemus on there? <laughs> Pastor, we'd like to move the shepherd window to here. And, and, and you guys have a lot of good ideas in your emails. It's funny that no one wanted to do anything other than restore that window to 100% of what it was 100 years ago. And I think you would have probably bounced me out of here with pitchforks and torches had we said, well, we've got a really good idea. We'd like to. We don't mess with this. Why? Because this, this window communicates two marvelous pieces to us. One is that in this place, you are one in Christ. And you belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're one when we gather in here. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one people of God called in Christ. And our mission, as you look on the outside, 
is to bring that unconditional love of Christ into the world. Take care of my sheep, feed my lambs inside of the campus. Go and make disciples. Sit at the well, sit at the cafeteria, sit in the queue. But bring that unconditional love of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go and whatever you do because you are one in Christ. The power of that, the story, the love, the mercy, the grace. Instead of starting with her life and saying, well, I guess you'll never make it back. Your life's really tragic. Jesus says, I who speak to you am the Messiah, and I accept you, and I love you. Not as a possession, but as a person. As someone who's a child of God. Who was first at the cradle, who was last at the cross. If you ever watched the movie, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, it's a story of a Vietnam piece where General Hal Moore, he says, I'm going to be the first one off the helicopter and the last one off. And sure enough, after this horrible fight, he's the first one off the helicopter before it starts, and he's the last one on after everything's been achieved and accounted for. Jesus' ministry, first at the cradle was Mary. The angel came to her. You're going to have a baby and he's going to be special like nothing else. And last at the cross. First to the tomb. Last at the cross. The ladies. The women. Wonder why that was. Peter leaves. Mark runs naked through the garden. Was it that that rabbi had a message that spoke in a whole different way to the women Jesus loved? This is a marvelous quote that I came across this week from a John Ortberg book. Uh, the book talks about how Jesus transformed every piece, including the relationships between men and women. Powerful book. Send me an email. I'll send you the list. You can get it on Amazon. Ortberg's sermon on this is significantly smoother than mine, but my window's better than his, so I got that going for me. <laughs> Perhaps it is no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this man. There never has been such another. A prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made arch jokes about them, who never treated them as either the women, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without demeaning and praised without condescension who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them and never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no ax to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. A lady started Oxford University as someone of an agnostic and graduated the first woman from Oxford University, graduated also a Christian. I'd like to leave you with Jesus' words to his disciples. The disciples come back and you can almost hear in their voices, what are you thinking, Jesus? Come on, what, what's going on here? Why this? We got some food. I, I even love the point in verse 30, 33 where the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him more food? <laughs> Did she bring him a Big Mac? I just think that's so funny. So uh, verse 27 of John chapter four. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, not the woman, a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town to the people. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits. She was on mission right away. Went back to the people of influence, her influence, on mission immediately, let's go. And people came to know Christ through her witness. The disciples come back and they're a little sketchy on what's going on. And Jesus said, look at her and what she's done. She's got this figured out. And eventually you're going to be with us in the harvest as well, fellas. Our work, our work inside the church is to continue to work at being one in Christ and to align ourselves around the mission of Jesus Christ, of making disciples. And our mission outside, on the other side of that window, is to find those places. To find those places where people sit and need the unconditional love that is ours in Jesus Christ. People talk all about the church this and the church that and the sanctuaries are empty and people don't do this and people don't do that. And you know what? I get it. I'm not immune to that kind of conversation. But what I also know is this, that there is great, great opportunity for every one of us on the other side of that window. For Jesus who received her receives us and calls us to be on his mission. Amen.